Welcome to Creative in Tech. Powered by Reed Speaker. Technology is constantly evolving, and the companies that adapt win. In this podcast, you'll hear from companies and thought leaders across various verticals who blend the art and science in one of the biggest growing spaces in technology, conversational AI. You'll hear how they're creating the touchtone experiences that will define the next generation of customer strategy. Join me, Carrie Roberts, your host for this podcast and the brand evangelist for North America at readspeaker.ai as we explore the intersection of creative and tech. Welcome to Creative and Tech, a podcast show powered by ReadSpeaker.ai. I'm your host, Carrie Roberts, and I'm the brand evangelist for North America at ReadSpeaker. And today's conversation is all things gaming, accessibility, text-to-speech, and voice technology. And I have with me today a panel of three wonderful experts in this space. I have Morgan Baker. She's a game accessibility specialist and designer. I have Antonio Martinez. He's an accessibility consultant and editor-in-chief and mobility editor for game accessibility at Nexus. And I have Tom DiPetropolo. He leads our business development team, bringing TTS to gaming here at ReadSpeaker. I am so excited to have all of you. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to see you, Carrie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. It's exciting. Yes. So I want to start with, um, you know, Antonio, you and Morgan personally first. Morgan, I'll start this question with you. When did you first fall in love with gaming and what did you enjoy most, but maybe also found frustrating in terms of accessibility? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started gaming when I was very small. You could say I was born with a controller in my hand. Um, I started out with the Sega Genesis and was just absolutely in love with video games and for myself i really enjoyed the aspect of you know going and beating a challenge and feeling rewarded whenever i beat a game and also the secondary aspect is the social aspect which especially to like multiplayer games and stuff like that you know playing games with my friends and connecting with the community so that's kind of the two big aspects for me and was there anything that you found frustrating in terms of accessibility at the time or still do today? Yeah, so for myself, definitely the most frustrating thing is for myself, I have a hearing-related disability. I'm completely deaf. So for me, the most frustrating aspect would be the fact that not a ton of games are inherently accessible to players who have hearing-related disabilities. And I definitely experienced that. And I became more involved with the gaming disability community because I started to realize the soft and hard barriers I was experiencing. Yes, and I think it's wonderful that you are now not only helping your own problem, but for so many others as well. Antonio, the same question to you, you know, when did you first fall in love with gaming? What do you really enjoy about it? And was there anything in terms of accessibility that you found frustrating? Uh, I also started very young, like more than as a kid. I started playing on arcades, and then I got my first personal computer, and a Spectrum computer, just really long time ago. And what I learned about games was like, uh, in physical games, I couldn't compete with my friends, I couldn't take part in activities, but with video games, I could be part of everything. And I joined other people and classmates after school, we traded games, 
would go to each other's houses to play games. And my social life really changed and went from school is just for studying and being with friends to gaming is also part of my life now. And I can socialize with my friends, compete with them and have fun. And there was a lot of really good memory that I have from playing with my friends since I was a kid. Um, the friends that I made back then still are my friends today. Uh, like almost 40 years later, that's amazing. And so thanks to gaming. And then uh, the most frustrating parts are for me because I have a physical disability, which causes me to not be able to have uh, good dexterity, strength, stamina, uh, controls that are very difficult to press, like for example, holding down buttons, uh, repeated presses, uh, things like that. So as we are today, I think that that's what I want to to help me change in, in this industry. And that's why I'm doing what I do, not just for me, because I don't want other people that are going to come into the space to experience the same barriers that I did back then. Because also as my disability is progressive, uh, every now and then my experience gets worse and more difficult to play games. And I want to keep uh, raising awareness about those barriers and how to remove them. I love that. I think, you know, it's wonderful to hear both of you talk about just the sense of community you felt with gaming and the friendships that have been built. And now again, how you've had maybe frustrations, but how you're helping yourselves and others in the same way. I'd love to kind of hear, and Anthony, I'll come back to you to start. How do you define game accessibility and what do those words mean to you? Well, just like another aspect of accessibility, um, gaming accessibility is just always removing barriers. Uh, many people can have an impairment and that doesn't cause any disability. Disability occurs because there is a mismatch between their impairment and the barriers that they face in real life. So in games, it's, it's the same. For example, uh, for me, it's controls, right? Uh, my impairment is about not having dexterity uh, in my hands. So I could play any game in the past when I didn't have such a, a accused lack of dexterity. But right now, those games are not. So how can I change that? Well, just making the controls more simple, being able to customize them. So accessibility is just looking at what is causing the barrier between what a person can do at what the game is asking them to do in a certain way and making sure that they can do it. Just like a ramp in a building is just because, not just because you need it, because there's stairs. Okay, that's one way to access the building. But having a RAM makes sure that everyone can access the building. Yes, I I love that analogy. Like you said, it's something that everyone can do. Morgan, your thoughts here in terms of how you define game accessibility and what does it mean to you? Absolutely. I completely agree. And I'm sorry, my cat just jumped on my desk and is now rubbing herself on my foot. <laughs> um, I don't even know if you can hear that. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> Okay, great. Um, but I guess she was very resonated by uh, Antonio's words, and I am compelled to agree that games accessibility really means removing or reducing unintended barriers so that everyone can game, essentially. And a lot of games accessibility is grounded in the concept of universal design and inclusive design. So the idea of making sure that our products are inherently accessible to as many players as possible, really. 
Um, you know, I totally, Antonio, I agree with like the motor controls and stuff like that. And for me, especially given I'm deaf and I have other disabilities as well, but a lot of it comes down to the conglomeration of all these different um, inherent design decisions, as well as providing, you know, very specific and impactful options to make sure that players can enjoy the game for, and have a both challenging and rewarding experience, but also one that they can truly have. So that's what games accessibility, when I think of it, it means being able to play and being able to be part of this community and enjoy games just like everyone else. Yes, I love that. Tom, anything to add here in terms of how you define game accessibility, what it means to you? Yeah, so it, it's interesting where, you know, I just started on this journey a year ago as I started to lead Read Speakers, you know, game development and game accessibility initiative. And, you know, I, I think it's the, the key is enjoyment. It's, it's allowing players, you know, to participate and enjoy the games. And that's where I, I enjoy conversations with Antonio and Morgan so much is, you know, hearing, you know, the, the way that they're able to participate in games in the community. So I think that's, it's so important that when game developers are thinking about, you know, designing their gameplay and supporting, you know, gamers of all levels that, you know, they, they think about what features and what things can they do, you know, during the design process to make the games more enjoyable for an, the entire audience. Yeah, I think you're right. Again, it's it really goes back to that sense of community and interaction and making sure everyone has a piece in it in a way that works for them. Um, I want to talk, um, you know, stats for a moment to whatever extent maybe you can. Can you give, Morgan, I'll start with you, give people maybe an estimate of what percentage of gamers have some sort of disability that they might need a game to be accessible in order to play? Um, and are there a certain amount of games out there that you would say are very accessible at this point? Yeah, so in terms of percentage of gamers, we can kind of look at just general stats, which is that 20% of people live with one or more disability, and that is not including those who have temporary disabilities, breaking an arm, um, or situational disabilities, such as, you know, being in a room that's loud and not being able to comprehend speech as a result. That is a lot of people, and that is a lot of people, you know, people with disabilities have money. Uh, and they want to play games too. And so that's a huge portion of the market. Um, you'll find stats, for example, that a strong majority of players during uh, Assassin's Creed used subtitling. Uh, for example, it's everyone uses these features and everything. And so with 20%, and that's a minimum, again, keep in mind, um, I live with one or more disability. That is just a ton of people. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Again, if you think two out of 10 people have some sort of disability, you know, it's it's a larger percentage than we think. And as you just said, in, in a kind of a funny, simple term, people with disabilities have money and they want to do things too. And how important it is to really be thinking about this in terms of gaming. Antonio, kind of the same question. Any stats to kind of share here or any thoughts on, you know, the percentage of games that you're seeing now that are accessible? Well, the numbers are like the same that Morgan did, uh, between 15 and 20% of the people have disabilities. Um, there are impairments also that don't count as disabilities, like for example, color blindness doesn't count as a disability, mm. but it is, and I think it's 8% of male 
uh, have it. So that's a high percentage of of Madrid. So we are not making uh, sure that games are just being accessible to those with an impairment right now, but also to people that I will will have it at some point in his life. Yeah, like Morgan mentioned, like there are temporary disabilities and there are situational disabilities. Uh, for example, if you are in a room, I, I just said, and you have your baby on your uh, on, the, on your side, you are taking care of him. You maybe want to like be able to enjoy the gaming story, but you don't want to have the TV on, right? You reduce the volume and turn on subtitles because you need to hear your baby. So a feature that is supposed to be only for accessibility helps everyone at some point in life. And also as we age, we have to consider that we are not going to be the same. While the gamers that are right now smashing buttons and being super happy about it, in 10, 15 years might have any kind of issue or yes, old age. I might not be able to use it. And they will need the same feature that we all did because these features help most people with disabilities, but they help everyone just to customize their experience and make it better for them. As for games, there is no real stat because that is impossible to say like what game is accessible for who, because accessible means that someone can play it without barriers, right? So what, for example, might be accessible for Morgan might be accessible for me even if it has accessibility options. So there is no way to know what percentages. But the number of games that are uh, incorporating and taking a look at accessibility is growing every year. Like I remember that in many conferences like GAConf, we used to have like this part of a talk where uh, someone would say, okay, so this year, these games have accessibility options, right? And the list would be like 20 games. And then the next year it was like 40. But now when I go to a point, when when we get to that part, he has names a few and he says, but there are so many games that I cannot name them because I would need like many hours. And that's one very good sign. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, we're seeing this kind of growing uh, change, but also the growing need as more people talk about the importance of it as well. Um Morgan, I'm going to come back to you. What is your role in the gaming world right now? I know we kind of gave your title, but can you explain a little bit about what you do in terms of gaming? Yeah, so my role, I kind of have two roles right now where, because, <laughs> you know, why could I just have one? <laughs> uh, basically, I serve as an accessibility lead and game designer for a studio called The Odd Gentleman, where I'm helping them with an unannounced project. On the side, I'm also a games accessibility specialist consultant. So I will go to, you know, all the way from small indie dev to very large parent uh, corporations and help them ensure that their processes are being inclusive of players with disabilities. I make sure that, um, you know, they have the actual like safety nets to make sure that during the actual pipeline, they are including accessibility early and including accessibility often. I also perform like heuristic reviews, benchmarking and <laughs> workshops, <laughs> you know, whatever. It depends on the organization and what they need. And so I try to keep myself flexible. Um, but that's primarily the two things I do for games accessibility within the actual industry. Yes, and I think I was gonna say overall, just an overall advocate. Um, and an evangelist in your own way for all of this as well. 
Antonio, same thing. Can you talk a little bit about kind of your role in the gaming industry now and the type of work that you do? Well, right now what I do is just like, uh, Morgan, I do some activity consultant from indie to whatever uh, size. I'm always willing to help, sometimes uh, for free, out of time, because maybe some uh, developer doesn't really need a consultancy, just has a couple of questions. Doesn't take time for me to just answer those questions and make sure that the game is going to be more accessible for everyone. But the way that I entered the industry was by uh, making reviews for um, a site called Can I Play That? And then I moved to create my own site called Accessibility Nexus, and I do mobility reviews there based on that aspect of accessibility and also the editor in chief. So I revise and make the the, man, the management for the different other people that uh, collaborate with us, make sure that everything goes fine, uh, do the edits. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that you have to do. Uh, we are working hard and we really like what we do. Like I met Morgan thanks to that because I saw one of her articles, uh, an amazing review of a heuristic analysis of uh, as it was Valorant. And it was absolutely amazing. And we had the luck that he jumped into us uh, in, on the prison of Nexus. And since then we have been uh, friends and collaborators because her work is amazing. I, I love the love for this community. It's so wonderful to have all of you here. Tom, can you talk a little bit about kind of your role um, in this gaming space as well? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. For, you know, first, the way I met Morgan was the same thing. Reading one of her articles in what, what I call my, I was in my learning role in game accessibility. You know, it's new industry for me as trying to understand, you know, uh, you know, where accessibility, you know, comes into uh, video game development. So, you know, I read a couple of uh, articles published by Morgan and same thing with, with Antonio reading that um, the articles published by his organization. So over the years, over the year, I've been learning. And now, you know, I, I, I like to see myself as an advocate so that when I'm talking with game developers, you know, I'm saying to them, you know, have you thought about accessibility? What's your accessibility plan? So I like to look at myself as, you know, both, you know, someone that talks about ReadSpeaker and our, you know, game engine plugin and our text-to-speech, but also just brings awareness to the industry. And, you know, from a, an advocacy role to say, have you thought about this? And you're in the design process. Now is the time to think about this, not at the end of the project. So it's been really rewarding for me over the first year, you know, in learning mode. And now that, you know, I kind of transition into more of an advocacy role. Yes. No, I, I, again, I think it's good. The more we talk about this, the more things start to change. And, um, you know, all of you are doing that in your own huge way. I want to start with um, going back to Antonio. In terms of some games that you're playing right now, is there any ones that you uh, are playing at the moment or you really enjoy or you think are doing accessibility really well? Well, that's interesting because I'm playing a lot of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duels which is not uh, great in terms of accessibility for many aspects. But for mine, uh, like for mobility, it's very easy to use. You only have to use the mouse. You can do easy controls. And it's a game that I used to play, like the, the old version I played when I was like 20-something, and I played for many years. It 
really resonated with me. I was able to enjoy the, not just the community, but I made friends that, again, are all over the world, in Japan, Australia, USA, uh, South America, everywhere. And we created this wonderful community around, you know, cars and dwelling. So going back into this game really is making me feel again, like my old self in a way. And I can stop thinking about it. So I'm really enjoying it. Way too much, probably. Like <laughs> around 130 hours in like three weeks. So it's probably too much. But I can stop thinking about it. But other games that do very well uh, in terms of accessibility are, for example, um, Far Cry 6 did really well. I enjoy it too. Um, games like Halo Infinite did very well too. I'm also playing that. And Forza Horizon 5 was really great for me. I'm playing out of that too, uh, driving around, enjoying the experience of... It's not a game for me, you know, for me, it's more like I am driving in real life. It's what I would do in real life. Listening to music, jamming, going down the vistas. It's it's beautiful. And I think those games are doing very well. And I love it. I like that. I love how you, again, not only talk about the friendships and the, the um, community, but the experience. You said, you know, it's kind of has a realistic feel to it. You feel like you're really a part of it. And I think that's a, an important piece as well. Morgan, are there any games that you're playing right now that you're really enjoying or ones that you think do accessibility very well? Yes. So um, at the time of this, uh, Horizon uh, Forbidden West just came out. So um, I've been playing a bit of that. I am very excited. It's actually kind of funny because I can't sadly play too much of it because I'm in the middle of a very large project. But I did cheat even though i told myself no morgan don't play any of it and then i ended up downloading it and i was like well i'll just like start like just like the tutorial and oops whoops that's it <laughs> um but the game itself really impressed me so far in terms of accessibility they do offer a robust amount of options especially to for players who are deaf and hard of hearing um they offer a lot of like motor uh, mobility solutions, uh, which of course I can't speak to that beyond my own experiences, which they are helpful for me. Um, and I've noticed that they have had a vast improvement from their first game to second game. So I was very, very happy to see that progress because the first game, you know, was already at the time period it came out, you know, people considered it really solid in terms of accessibility. And so it's just very nice for me to see as, you know, the standards keep rising and we keep exploring how to make games more accessible from a developmental standpoint, as well as from a, uh, you know, just design, because we just have to keep actually learning how to do the design and such like that, seeing the progress from the first to the second game um, and kind of reflecting back thinking of the first game of me being mind blown at the time and now seeing this new one and I'm even more mind blown. I, I mean, it, it's very nice to see that. So, you know, shout outs <laughs> to uh, Gorilla for their congratulations to them for their release. Um, I think the entire internet has been taken by a storm for this game. So um, that's definitely one I've been playing recently. Besides the other game I'm playing right now is Earthbound, uh, which you know, you would think that I was going to break up a game that just came out recently, but actually it's really nice to go back to, you know, older game SMES, um, <laughs> depending on what you're dated, older game. Um, but going back and playing games like that where 
you know, a lot of times accessibility, we see it in every single product. So even though accessibility might not be explicit, going into a menu and clicking on the accessibility settings, it's kind of always present. It's just a matter of, you know, how it's actually applied. And so playing an older game and seeing small tidbit design choices that they made, for example, the game has excellent text contrast. It has excellent UI contrast and things like that. It made me think about like, you know, we, we're, we're doing pretty good. We've come far, but like, it's nice to see that even in older games, accessibility was always present. Um, <laughs> perhaps not purposeful, but you know, it was nice to see that. Anyway, <laughs> but those are the yes. I, you know, I, I love Morgan too that you had said you're like, okay, I'm working on something. I'm not gonna not gonna play the game too much, but it was good enough that it got you so excited. Um, and I feel like that that showcases a good product that's made if people are like, I want to keep playing. So, Tom, are there any games that you're playing right now that you are really enjoying? And have you noticed, you know, some accessibility things that they've added that you've enjoyed? Yeah. So first I just, Morgan, I just wrote down both of those games. So I'm always looking, you know, I, I have two teenage boys, so I get exposed to the games that they play, but it's, it's always interesting to hear what other people are playing so that I can, I can explore the different games, uh, you know, and that, that for me is, you know, just talks about the community, but one story I'll tell you. So my two boys, you know, had me playing Fortnite, the battle Royale game, um, you know, and I am, I am terrible. I, I can't aim, I can't, you know, it, I, I, I would be the guy that would carry all the buy items, you know, yeah, just, just hand it to me. I'll carry it and I'll follow behind. And then I discovered the audio, the visual audio cues, uh, settings in, in Fortnite. And, you know, I just always struggled with the spatial awareness of, is that person behind me? Are they to the right? And now with those visual audio cues, it's like, you know, it helps me play the game and keep up with my, uh, my two boys a little bit so that, you know, I'm, I'm not just carrying the items. So it's improved my experience, um, leveling that accessibility feature. Um, you know, and it, it's, and that's what it is for me. It's just, just the, an added level of a different way to experience the game. Yeah. I like that. And I want to come back to you, Morgan, cause you had mentioned, you know, you noticed, kind of the changes as you play an old game versus a new game. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what improvements you've kind of seen over the years, you know, the adoption of things like voice technology, closed captioning, et cetera. How have you really seen this gaming industry change in terms of accessibility? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think how the industry has changed in terms of accessibility truly is, it really boils down to awareness. Um, and the idea that, I mean, gamers with disabilities have always existed, but <laughs> perhaps maybe not always acknowledged to the grander scale that it should have been, um, you know, because we have like some early examples, like the Nintendo controller with a sip and puff sort of situation where like, you know, that developers were aware, but like nowadays, especially in the past decade, five years, even like three years, two years, people have become more and more aware of accessibility as a practice and inclusive design as a practice. And so as a result, what comes with awareness is purposeful design within developmental processes. So, you know, for example, I was reflecting on an older game that had accessibility, um, but maybe not so purposeful. Whereas now we have, for example, Fortnite, where they're being more purposeful with their, um, 
design. We have games like I just talked about uh, Horizon Forbidden West, where they're purposeful with their design. The Last of Us Part Two, where they're ex- well, that is extremely purposeful with their design to ensure that as many gamers with disabilities or without disabilities can play and enjoy games. So, you know, things like including text-to-speech, including closed captions, and not just including them, but having customization options for them. Things like including within the actual design itself, not just throwing 10,000 options, but actually making the design inherently accessible from the beginning, which keep in mind, you have to do that really early on in production cycle. So it's still a tough thing to tackle, but making sure that your game is inherently accessible. People are doing that more and more today, like especially in the past couple of years. Yeah, I like the term purposeful design. I think that's a really good point. Antonio, are you kind of seeing over the years, what kind of changes have you seen in terms of accessibility within this gaming space? I would say just like Morgan, that the big thing is awareness. As people have always uh, known that we existed, but maybe they were not uh, like consider the needs of the disabled community. But now we see that they know and they care, and they really are putting uh, the work into it. And you can see it in things like very little things. Like for example, I remember many years ago I like to play shooters. I was being playing shooter games. So for me, for example, things like. Many people with uh, disabilities, one of the issues is if you have to hold down a button to aim and then use the other one to shoot, you might not be able to do it because you have to be holding down the other button. But now some games in the past had like uh, a toggle option where you just click once, you go into aiming mode, and then you can just use the same finger to click to shoot, and that gives you the same uh, or a more equal experience to other people. Now we see that implemented in more and more games. Now it's rare to not see it. Now it's not like, oh, I can play this game because they thankfully thought of this. It's more like it's almost everywhere. And it's just maybe sometimes a technical issue or someone forgot that those things are not there. Or things like quick time events, which are like one of the nightmares for people with a physical disability where you have to smash a button repeatedly and you are not able to complete a specific section, yeah, like opening a door or something like that, yeah, because you don't have a physical skill, which doesn't make sense in a game. Now we see more and more often options to customize how those things happen. For example, when you get to a quick thing event, you will see the option to be like, do you want to hold on a button instead of smashing the button? Do you want to just do a single tap? Or do you just want to like, when you get there, it resolves itself and you don't have to bother about it. Uh, there is a lot of things that have been changing and they're improving. And I think that in the next few, in the next years, we are going to see even much more accessible games, which new features that we can even think about right now, like things that might sound like ridiculous will be a reality. And probably everything that we give like uh, a 10 today will just be a five by then. And it's exciting to see all this change. Like I mentioned, as Morgan mentioned, like in the last two or three years, the change has been amazing. Amazing. And from my standpoint, that really shows that the industry cares and that the industry understands the importance of making sure that everyone can play at some level and having a more uh, equal and balanced ground for everyone. 
Yeah, beautifully said. And I think, you know, as you and Morgan both stated, you know, just the awareness, not only the awareness, but also taking the action to make that change. Tom, have you seen kind of any changes that you've noticed over the years in terms of accessibility and gaming? So I'm going to age myself here real quickly. And growing up with, you know, the original Nintendo, we, we had the Game Genie. So the question is, has Morgan or Antonio ever experienced the Game Genie? So it was this add-on cartridge that you could, you know, use to give yourself unlimited lives or give yourself, you know, unlimited weapons so that you could experience the story. And, you know, it was viewed as, you know, a cheat, a cheating device because it's, you know, it's giving you unfair advantages. But without it, you know, myself, I couldn't get to the higher levels because I, I didn't have the, you know, the, the, uh, the skill, you know, but I could still with this device, I could experience the game, uh, you know, because it gave me that advantage. So I see game developers now starting to kind of build that into their games so that people can experience the story when they want to, and then experience the challenge of the game on the other side. So, you know, going back to what Morgan said, it's all about the design process and thinking about the experience, you know, of, of the video game, not simply the challenge. Yeah. And thinking about it from the beginning, as, as all three of you have talked about, um, and for those that are, are listening, and that maybe don't know, we at Raid Speaker, we are a text-to-speech voice technology company. And we were introduced to game development when a well-known company called Naughty Dog leveraged our text-to-speech voices to create audio clips for their game, The Last of Us Part Two. Um, so Antonio, I'll start with you. Are you familiar with that game um, and how they utilize text-to-speech? And if so, can you talk about what you've heard from players or just your own experience? I didn't play the game myself because I don't own a PlayStation because the controller is not accessible to me. But my friend and my television editor for the site, Victor, uh, we got to review the game. Um, I told the story like many times, but I will not forget. We got the game like really late before review. We had like five days to review the whole game. We're like, this is going to be tough. Victor. He was like, okay, just give me the code. I'll play the game. So I gave him the code, he played the game. Next day, I called him in the morning. Hey, Victor, how was it? He was like, oh man, that's amazing. I was like, okay, tell me. And he started to tell me, the moment you start the game, you have this voice telling you how to do stuff. The menus are all read. There is narration for everything. There are amazing sound cues. There's a high contrast mode. There is everything that I need. And he was really happy about it. And he was delighted, like I was... He was really uh, like very tired, but he wasn't tired because he was playing the game. He was tired because he couldn't stop playing the game. It was, it was amazing for him. There was no barrier for him. And that kind of experience, that kind of joy, I've been working with Victor for many years, and I hadn't heard that before. So that was when we, I knew that the game was going to be amazing. Even before they, rely, they released the list of features, that was Something that changed, I think, at that point, because other games had had uh, many narration before, and that that was great, but not in that level. And after that, we have seen many narration and text-to-speech incorporated in many games, um, like uh, I don't know, uh, Far Cry Six, Mortal Phoenix Rising. Ubisoft is really pushing for that. Um, I think it's also available in Gear Tactics, Forza Horizon, uh, Halo Infinite. So the list of games keeps 
adding because they know that it's a very important feature because if the moment that you run the game, the first thing that someone with low vision or is blind, here it is, this is how you set up your game. It's like, welcome to your game. It's not just, you know, run the game and try to find where the option is. It's just welcome to the game. It's an invitation to enjoy the game on your own way. And that is very powerful. And that is something that the community really understand and, uh, and appreciates. Just like audio commentary, like for trailers and stuff like that. They really love it. And it's just showed the impact of accessibility. And the last of us part two was the one that really showed the world what it could be. And many people have been following track after that. And Morgan knows because she worked on that game. Yeah, and I before I get to Morgan, I, I just want to point out, you know, beautifully said how you said it was an invitation, welcome to your game. And for your friend to feel like there was no barriers and to feel like I can fully enjoy this. I don't have to change anything. I don't have to feel frustrated. And what a great experience all of us should be able to have in that way. And I appreciate you kind of talking about it to that extent. Morgan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, yeah. So first of all, I actually, I worked on the title specifically for deaf and hard of hearing accessibility, um, you know, alongside low vision, blind and sightless experts as well. Um, of course, I can't like perfectly speak for everyone, but I do know, well, especially I love, I love the points with Victor. In between Victor, I know Brandon Cole, James Rath, Steve Saylor, uh, Sightless Combat. I mean, I could just list all of these excellent low vision, blind and sightless experts who, please, everyone who are, is listening into this podcast, please go and read their reviews on The Last of Us Part Two to get their impressions. But overall, they share the joy and the happiness of being able to play the game thanks to the use of text-to-speech within it, which is something that I know the two co-designers, uh, Emily, Amelia, <laughs> I am so bad. Uh, and um, Matthew, the two of them together, they really utilize this technology to try to create as extremely accessible experience for low vision, blind and sightless players as possible. Um, of course, like any other game, The Last of Us is wildly, you know, they offer things that we've never seen before in the games industry. And I am so proud and so happy and someone, especially like me, just the features that they have created, I was able to play a game like this for the first time with ease and efficiency. Um, of course, like, there's always room for improvement, but in terms of the low vision, blind and sightless experience, it was absolutely exceptional, especially for the time period it came out. Um, and I say that statement purposefully because I'm crossing my fingers as games uh, progress. We can look and say, look how better things have gotten since then. So that's why I say during that time period, I'm crossing my fingers right now. <laughs> <laughs> So but, um, I, that's my impression. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, again, congrats to you on, on working on that. And, you know, you can hear your passion and excitement, not only for 
the game, but for the the people that you worked with as well. And I think, you know, again, we're kind of hearing this theme that it's, you know, everybody wants to be included and feel like something is for them. Um, and when people work with people who understand it and are experts, it allows them to create something that is much more inviting as Antonio just kind of mentioned. Um, Tom, did you play this game or did you have uh, any experience or hear any things with this? So that I, I have played it, but the, the, the key for me, what, what really kind of, you know, got my attention, you know, the text to speech was, was a great feature, but then, you know, Naughty Dog took it to another level where, you know, they, they created the text to speech in 18, 19, 20 languages. So not only did they make it accessible, you know, for blind, low vision, um, you know, auditory uh, issues, but then they took a global approach and, and they, you know, leveraged the text-to-speech component, um, you know, for multiple languages. So it really just kind of took accessibility to another level. And and it's just amazing that here it is, you know, a couple of years later, and we'll, we're still talking about it being, you know, an industry-leading um, tool. So it'll be interesting to see what comes next, you know, where they set the bar so high. Yeah. And Tom, I'm going to stick with you because Read Speaker is releasing our Game Engine plugin for Unity and Unreal in the spring of 2022. And it brings a dynamic text-to-speech at runtime solution to the market. How could a game developer leverage this type of solution? Why do you think it's important to do so? Tom, I'll start with you. So on my learning journey, you know, I, I came... Uh, you know, to this project with with Reed Speaker, looking at what The Last of Us uh, did, and and I said, great, you know, we we have a text to speech engine, we we can do that for for every game, you know, let's let's just produce audio and let them um, insert it in, um, and it's interesting. So Reed Speaker's one of Reed Speaker's co-founders, uh, Frederick, is actually visually impaired, and during our initial meeting, you know, he said, well, generating text to speech is good but it really is limited if you're just generating static audio files. He's like, if we can make our embedded speech engine, you know, in the game so that the game developers can use it dynamically, he's like, now we're giving them, you know, a real solution, you know, so we are giving them a tool that allows them to code the text to speech into the game so that they don't have to manage audio files, you know, so that they don't have to, you know, if they want to release an update or if they want to change something, you know, they can do it all in the code base. And, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, really where can, you know, where can game developers go, you know, when we give them a tool versus giving them a solution. And that's how I look at our, our game engine plugin is it really is that, dynamic text-to-speech tool that, you know, can be used at the development level while the game is in the design phase. So it's really exciting to me. Yeah, I like how you're saying you're giving them a tool, not a solution. You know, they're the experts in terms of solutions. We're providing the tool so they can create something from the beginning that works really well here. I think that's a really nice distinction. Morgan, any thoughts on this in terms of, you know, how a game developer could maybe leverage this type of tool? Yeah, absolutely. What I think is great is that, uh, and what I really do hope is that for a tool like this, it'll help streamline processes for developers, especially those who are thinking of accessibility early and thinking about accessibility often. Because we have a lot of developers out there, especially ones that reach out to me who want to make their games accessible, but it's complicated. Making games is hard, folks. It's hard. Uh, It's never an easy thing. And especially if you want to make it accessible, 
you know, there's a lot of different variables and a lot of different things that have to go into the actual production and pipeline in order to achieve that. And so my hope is, is with having a tool like this, it makes developers sustainable, self-sustainable, as well as, you know, helps them kind of streamline their own processes and perhaps to make this the norm. Um, <laughs> my fingers are crossed again. <laughs> so that's one of the uh, things that I think is great about this plugin. Yeah, I want to uh, switch to Antonio here. You know, besides this, there are a lot of other features that a game developer needs to be thinking about, of course, to make their games accessible. So in addition to TTS, and you can speak to that as well if you'd like, what does and should a game developer need to plan for, do you think, Antonio? Well, I think also that text-to-speech has a, a good role, not just for uh, narration and stuff like that, but also for communications, because if you want to be CVAA uh, compliant, which you need to be, especially if you're in the USA, uh, communications needs need to be um, accessible for people with uh, no vision, who are not type. For example, I always use uh, voice communication because I cannot type on a chat window. But on the other side, if I'm playing with someone who cannot hear, you will you want to use the, the voice, the text chat, right? So what text-to-speech uh, does is that it enables me to not have to look at the text chat because it translates the text chat into voice for me. And I can at the same time talk and they will it, it will translate my voice in, into text for them because maybe they don't want to hear my voice or maybe they can't. So that works also. So that's very important. And also uh, in terms of other features that should come uh, for me specifically, uh, I would say it would be Seems like easier uh, ways to control the character, um, avoid uh, specific repetitive mechanics that make no sense, like holding down buttons for opening chests. It's something that is very common these days or for other items. There is no need to hold. Um, we see that we are uh, allowing players to customize that. So we have game where we have a slider that allows you to customize for how long do you want to hold down a button or for uh, how much time do you want to be able to have to hold on the spring button? Or maybe you don't want to hold on the spring button. You just press it once and you run. Or maybe you just press forward the stick and the character will run forward not without uh, stopping. And that is going to save you strength. And that strength that you are saving is going to allow you to play for longer in a, in a more comfortable way. So all these features are coming now. Uh, how that one day we can see something like uh, controlling the game with the mind, which is like seems like science fiction, but we are starting to see like small things in that field, very tiny specs. But I think that would be great. Um, just uh, please allow people to remap all their keys, please. You don't have to assume never that a player is going to play in a specific way that you can press multiple buttons just because you can give them the option to do more simple things in another way because you never know who is behind the or in front of the screen you know you never know what they can do or what they cannot do so it's so it's good to have an open mind 
Yeah. Again, beautifully said, you know, it's not just about something that you can do, but really thinking beyond that. And I'm sure, you know, as both of you have talked about, it's important to speak to people who are doing that every day so that you can have that kind of broad uh, discussion to figure out the right things. Anything else, Morgan, that you would add here for game developers to kind of know, um, to be thinking about in terms of, you know, making games more accessible, other features or things you can think of? the biggest thing and Antonio really just hit the nail on the head so there's not much to add besides just thinking of games accessibility early and often involve the community interact with your community um you know talk to specialists educate yourself you know Microsoft now has a fundamentals course take that um make yourself familiar with the subject matter and you know don't be afraid to really dive into it, really. And I was going to say, you just mentioned Microsoft. You know, recently Microsoft published the Xbox accessibility guidelines. How do you see the console makers impacting video game development in relation to game accessibility, Morgan? Yeah, so the Xbox accessibility guidelines are great and they just did a very huge update for it, um, which is amazing because uh, like any other subject matter, games accessibility is just rapidly improving and the subject matter is rapidly expanding, uh, especially in like the past three years. It's like a whiplash sometimes, which is great because things are just getting better and better, especially with things like the read speaker technology. Um, in terms of how they will impact video game development in relation to games accessibility, the nice thing is, is that the Xbox accessibility guidelines kind of, in, as the title offers, gives developers a guideline when they are thinking of accessibility early and often and trying to streamline their process, they have tangible objectives that they can try to do. Now, of course, keep in mind that a, one guideline might not be applicable to every single game. For example, if your game has no audio, any guideline that talks about audio probably isn't going to be related to your game. Uh, however, of course, the guidelines are extremely helpful because for developers and accessibility, it can be overwhelming. It's a lot of new information. And so having something that kind of helps ground them a little bit, step them through the process is really, really helpful. And I'm really happy that Xbox has been continuously updating these guidelines, uh, especially to as more user research comes out and as the community continues to develop and involve. Yeah. So I, I want to be conscious of time here. We have a couple more questions. So Antonio, I want to just come to you for this next one. You know, there might be some gaming companies that say, you know, we don't need to make our games accessible. It might be a nice to have, but it's not a top priority for them. Maybe they say, well, 20% of people, that's not a big deal. What are some other reasons that game developers should make accessibility an important piece at the start of designing a game? Do you think, Antonio? Well, first of all, because it's not, accessibility is not just for 20% of people, it's for the 100% of people. So you are just hurting yourself if you are not implementing accessibility. Also, if you look at your competitors, you will see that they are doing it. So if you don't start doing it today, you're going to be in the back, in the back wagon and you don't want to fall behind your competitors, right? Uh, it's a good practice also. Uh, it's not just because it matters. Is because you are going to improve the lives of people so much 
you don't know the the uh, impact that accessibility and gaming can have in someone's life and make it much better. Not just in many ways. Like for example, for me, gaming allowed me to uh, stay fit for much longer than the usual person with my type of disability. Every time I went to the doctor, they said, you are in much better condition than you should be. What are you doing? Besides yourself exercises, I'm like, I'm playing games. And that's helping me because that's exercising. And I'm not feeling bored. I'm not feeling tired about that. So you should realize the therapeutic values of gaming for mental health and for physical health. And also, if they want just to look at the future, what is going to be the gaming industry in like the next five years? Do you want, again, to be not in, in the first head, like even indie developers are doing it right now. It's not difficult to find games made by one single developer who had great accessibility. And if a big company doesn't feel that that is important, is that they need to revise their, their things. They need to revise their policies because they are really hurting only themselves and also everyone that is going to, to play their games because in five years or in two years, nobody will want to buy their games because it will be like, why should I buy a game that is not accessible when I can buy one that is, I don't care if it only costs like $2. Like, yeah, 80% sales. For example, Steam sales, you see a lot of games that are really, really cheap when they come on, on sale, but nobody buys them. Why? Because they're not accessible. I can buy a game, for example, on release if I think that it's accessible and I will keep it. But any game that is not accessible, I will immediately refund it. And again, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that is going out of their pockets. Yeah, I I agree. Again, really nicely said. Morgan, anything to add here? If there's a company that says, you know, it's a nice to have, but it's not our priority. What's kind of your advice or guidance on that? Again, Antonio is just hitting the point right now. And I think that the only thing I could really add in addition to yes, yes, and yes, is also games accessibility is not something that hinders design because a lot of times when you see developers say things like this, it's either, well, maybe they have time or production cost issues or other times though, a lot of developers will think that accessibility might harm their design so to speak and that's why they will not consider it and my response to something like that would be that well that's not what accessibility is I think you're not thinking of what games accessibility really truly means because games accessibility is ultimately as Antonio said for 100% of the player base everyone benefits from accessibility constantly we have permanent temporary and situational disabilities and also keeping in mind that you know if you want to play games and you get older you're going to want to probably make them accessible but games accessibility really can actually bring the best out of a game's design itself if implemented correctly and implemented purposefully um and so i think that's just something to keep in mind when thinking about whether or not to consider accessibility is just thinking about the fact that it's inclusive design it's a good thing you know it will help more players play your game and make your design inherently stronger 
Yeah, I I agree. As you said, you know, it's so much about it's a hundred percent of us. Um, whether it's maybe like you were mentioning earlier, Antonio, you you have a kid on your arm and they're screaming and you need something else, or maybe one day you're tired, you have a bit of a headache. You know, it it affects all of us and that's equally important. Tom, is there maybe something, one thing that you'd like to share about game accessibility that you think most people don't realize that's important to know? Um, I, th- I think it's just how it impacts the community. You know, how how much game accessibility allows people to connect with everyone, you know, even those outside of their circles of friends. You know, it, it just takes down one of the barriers, you know, in, in video gaming. So I think that that's the key piece is it, it makes games more enjoyable for everyone and it allows people to build those communities, um, you know, and, and it's just such an important given how popular you know video games are and the online communities and the open world platforms um you know thinking about everyone is is important that that's all i'll 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 leave it with yeah and as all of you had mentioned just the the building of the community the friendships the mental health aspect all these things the physical health aspect if you're doing certain games you know the value that has um, is so important. So if people want to connect or learn more about each of you, Tom, I'll start with you. Where is the best place for them to, to do that? Yeah. So they can, you know, find me on LinkedIn. If they're listening to this podcast, they'll, they'll have a list to the, to the read speaker site where, where they can reach out and, you know, send us a contact information. But, you know, once we do connect, um, you know, on, on Twitter, on discord and, and engaging with game developers every day. Perfect. Antonio, if people want to learn more or connect with you, where's the best place to do that? They can do that to our site, uh, gameaccessibilitynexus.com. They can do it by on Twitter at gameA11YNexus or at black1976. Uh, and they can also, yes, find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to talk with them and share my insight on or help in whatever way I can. Perfect. Morgan, where can people connect with you or learn more? Yeah, my Twitter is a great place to connect with me. It is MomoXMia, M-O-M-O-X-M-I-A, um, as well as my website where all the rest of my contact information is, which is LeahyBaker.com, L-E-A-H-Y Baker.com, my LinkedIn, Morgan Leahy Baker. Um, and I do have a Discord, but oh, I don't know my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe just connect with me else. <laughs> I, was, I was right, right, right there with you, Morgan. It was like find me, and then we'll we'll connect again. But yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's, well, I so uh, I appreciate. Yeah, I appreciate you all being here and thank you so much. And if you are listening or watching, don't forget to check out more at readspeaker.ai and look under our gaming section. And we look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Thank you for listening to Creative and Tech. Want to learn more about conversational AI, text-to-speech, or be notified of our upcoming episodes and events? Learn more at readspeaker.ai.